Last week we were talking about the, um, the bowls of judgment that are going to be poured out in the end times, the final wrath of God. And um, with these bowls of, uh, of judgment, the wrath of God will be completed. We got to the sixth bowl, and in the sixth bowl it opened up the, um, one of the battles of, um, of the end times, I guess you could say. Now there are um, what I believe to be three different battles that are going to take place at the end times. The first battle that we will look at from Ezekiel 38 and 39 is called the battle of Gog and Magog. The second battle that I believe will take place that the Bible teaches is the battle of Armageddon. And all of these battles are attacks on Israel, but specifically on God Himself, but they go after God's people. And so that's the second battle that takes place is Armageddon. And then the last battle will take place after the thousand-year reign of Christ, and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight, but there's going to be, after Armageddon, there's going to be a millennial kingdom that the Bible teaches us that will be set up. And for a thousand years, Jesus is going to reign here on earth over Israel. And basically, all the promises that God promised ethnic Israel are going to be fulfilled during this thousand year period. And so it is going to be, if you will, kind of like a a heaven on earth is basically what's, what's going to take place during this time. But then after that thousand year reign, there is going to be one final battle that is going to happen very fast. And, and it is going to be the... Um, the Bible calls it the battle of Gog and Magog, but it's a spiritual battle where the first battle of Gog and Magog is an actual physical battle. This, this battle is spiritually called Gog and Magog, and it is where Satan himself leads people of the world in a rebellion against Jesus Christ and all of His people but it is extinguished very, extinguished I should say, very fast. And so we're going to talk about those three battles and, and the timing of them and basically what we can learn about them. Now, in, in all fairness, I do want to say this. There are many people that also believe that the battle of Gog and Magog and Armageddon are actually the same battle. And in all fairness, I will say to you tonight that it's possible it could be. But I'm going to share with you some differences in those battles that make me believe that there's actually, that there are actually two separate battles that take place. And we're going to see some details of it as we go through it tonight. But the first battle we're going to talk about is the battle of Gog and Magog. And you're going to read about it in Ezekiel chapter 38. And we will just read through it one verse at a time so that you can get an idea of exactly um, what's, what's going on as we read it. In Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, the first thing that that I want to lay out for you is a little bit of um, geography here. And Now, we, we don't know for certain exactly where Magog is. But we do know that Magog was a a grandson of Noah. If I remember right, he was actually Japheth's uh, son, son. And so he was Noah's grandson, and his name was Magog. And he moved to the northern parts of above Israel. And so today, that would be the lands that we would call any of the lands that are the the Stan lands, so like uh, Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, I mean, any of, the, any of the lands that end in Stan would be part of that area. Another part of that area would be what we call the Soviet Union today, all of Russia. And so there are many people t- today that believe that whenever the Bible talks about Magog, that it's actually talking about Russia and the Soviet Union. Now, Again, in all fairness, I'm not trying to tell you that today. I do know that if you will look at places like um, in the same... Let's look at verse 6. We'll come back here in a minute. In 38 verse 6, 
um, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth to Garma from the uttermost parts of the north. All right. And then if you will look at verse um, 12, it says, To seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell at the center of the earth. And here they're talking about Israel. And so here's the geographical points that I want you to understand. When we read through here, the directions that they're given are in proximity to Israel being the center of the world, if you will. And so when it talks about the uttermost parts of the north, it's actually talking about north of Israel. So whenever you go to the uttermost parts north of Israel, you're in the Soviet Union. And then you get into the, uh, the Bering Sea, I guess it is. But that's kind of the proximity we're looking at. And then in verse uh, 14 and 15, look at what it says there. <clears throat> Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. And then verse 16, You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. So anyway, again, here's the proximity that I'm trying to give you. So if you've got Israel as the center point, and then the uttermost parts of the north are where Gog and Magog and all of his enemies are coming from to come down on, on Israel, then more than likely it is very possible that we're talking about in the latter days Russia in some way, unless it, unless it ceases to be Russia, but it's the people of that area, alright? And so, it is very likely that what we're looking for is that someday, Russia along with all of the, the Stan nations, um, and then he named some other nations in here, it is very likely that those nations are going to mount an attack against Israel. And their heart is going to be to... Um, to destroy God's people, to destroy Israel. And we'll read a little bit more about it. But not only that, look down with me also at verse 5 of chapter 38. There are other people that are with them. In verse 5, it says Persia is with them. Now, Persia ceased to be a... Uh, or it didn't cease to be anything. Persia is still a people today. The only difference is you don't know them as Persia anymore because since 1935, I believe it was, they have been known as Iran. And so, here you could see Russia, the Stans, Pakistan, uh, Kazakhstan, all these Stan nations, and then you've got um, Persia, which is now Iran. Uh, and don't that make sense? They've been wanting to destroy Israel for, for, how, you know, for, for ages now. And so you've got all of these nations, and then it goes on in verse 5, not only Persia or Iran, but also Cush or some of your versions actually name this what it is today, Ethiopia, and then uh, Put, and then some of your versions actually name this what it is today, Libya. And so you've got Iran, Ethiopia, you've got Libya. And so you've got, and if we were to look at a map, basically this is all the uttermost parts of the north above Israel. And it has been predicted or prophesied by Ezekiel that one day, or in the latter days, as he said, that these nations are going to be led by a man named Gog, if you will. So go back with me to first verse 1, 38 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against who? Him. And so we're talking about a specific person here, right? And so this is a leader of some kind. And ultimately, if Magog is the nation of the Soviet Union, basically, then it's likely we're talking about a leader of Russia. And that's the reason why there has always been so much focus on, on Russia and what Russia is doing is because of prophecies like this. And so whenever Russia started, inv started invading um, Ukraine, 
There was a lot of attention that directed back to this because, again, many believe that this prophecy is talking about Russia is eventually going to try to expand its borders to the point that it's going to come down against God's people as well in Israel. And you're also going to notice that this is going to happen at a time when Israel has filled back up with Jews, which is happening right now. Actually, I think, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but I think there is some five or, or six million people, uh, Jews right now, that actually inhabit Israel. And that's only happened since 19, what was it, 40-something? So you know what I'm talking about. So, so that Jews are just coming back in, in, in the droves to, to back to Israel. And so whenever you look at it today, we're seeing a lot of these things that you're going to read about actually being fulfilled. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Meshach and, and, Meshach and Tubal were mountain ranges between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And so basically, it's that same area of the Stan nations. Alright? And so... Yes, sir. That's what I was thinking. Right. That's correct. Right. These are very, and that's the reason why there are many that believe it's going to be the Muslims that are going to try to uh, exterminate the Jews again, and that Russia is going to be behind them. And so, again, uh, th all of this is, let me just say this all of this is speculation. All right. I'm not trying to tell you that that's exactly what's going to lay out, but I am going to tell you that is it very probable? Well, yeah, because go to a map and find me the uttermost parts of the north from Israel and tell me who it would be other than all these people that I've just mentioned to you. Uh, I mean, I've pulled the maps out myself and looked, and these are, these are the people that we're talking about. And so, here we have this leader that the Bible calls Gog. And we don't know who Gog is. We don't know, is Gog Putin? I don't know. Is, is Gog a, a future leader of another? I, I don't know. But we do know that Gog is a him. And we do know that Gog is going to be the leader of this um, confederacy, if you will, of all these nations that come together for the purpose of trying to exterminate God's people, mount an attack against Israel. And so in verse 3 it says, And I want you to say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now listen, if you have a New King James Version, or if you have... Who has a New King James Version? Does anybody have one of those here tonight? It, it translates a little bit different. And there is, there is some, some um, discussion, I guess you could say, about how this should translate. There are some people believe that the word that we translate right here that says chief, so chief prince, there are some people believe that this should be an adjective. And so like if you have the English Standard Version or some other translations, they believe that this is just a description, so they use it as chief is what it is. But the actual Hebrew word that's used here is a word, is a word called rosh. And there are many people that believe it's not just an adjective, but it is also a place, that it is a proper noun, if you will. And so they believe that Rosh is an old name for Russia, that that's where Russia comes from today. And so, yes, yeah, so if you, have a, if you have a version that says, um, uh, and how does it read, Tim? The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And so depending on how the translators understood this to be, whether it's an adjective that describes the kind of prince that he was, or that he is actually the prince of Rosh, depending on how they translated it, uh, we're not for certain exactly how it, it should be read. But again, there are, it's, just, 
important to note to you that there are a lot of people that say this is how we know and identify that we're talking about modern day Russia today because Rosh was an old Hebrew word for where the modern day Russia comes from today. Now again, I don't have any evidence on that. I don't have anything to support that. So I'm just giving it to you as as what there are some uh, scholars that actually have said that this is what it is. And, And it could be, it could not be. Yes. It could be. And, and, you know, again, that, this is where so many different... I, I'm careful about speculation because this is where so many different beliefs come from in these. And, and uh, so basically what I want to do is I want to go through it and I want to pick out here's what we know. And then I want to determine what can we establish about this battle based on what we know. Not based on what we speculate about, but based on what we know. So anyway, to answer your question, could it be? Yeah, absolutely. This could be a... Right, it, could, it very well could be. But again, we know that for certain that this is a leader of a confederacy of the uttermost parts of the north above Israel that are going to lead an attack against Israel in the latter days, in the last days. Those are things that we know for certain. So now, notice what he's going to do to him in verse 4. And I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. And so what he says here is God says, here's what I'm going to do to God. Gog is going to be a puppet of God's, if you will. And God is painting a picture here of putting a hook in His jaw and turning Him around toward Israel. And He is going to lead all of these enemies of God and all these enemies of God's people to a battle against Israel. Now the good news is, they're not going to succeed. God is going to conquer them. He's doing this so that He can overthrow them and prove to Israel that He is God. So this is one battle that we're going to find out that takes place. You remember I told you several weeks ago that right now we're living in a time of God hardening the hearts of the Jews and He has blinded their eyes for the time being until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Remember we studied that from the book of Romans? And so... What we see here is, I believe, a battle that is going to take place that God is going to use in order to open the eyes of the Jews during this time and they are going to know that Jesus is Lord as a result of this battle. But we'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, The main thing to understand in verse 4 is that God is the one that turns this leader, even though he hates God and hates God's people, God turns him and his army toward Israel and God points them in this direction and actually draws them down for this battle. And then in verse 5, again, we've already went over this, but Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. And those names could change in the future. If this is something that happens in the near future, then these will be their names. It could be that a thousand years from now, Iran is not Iran anymore. And it's, it's, it's known as another name. But bottom line is that those people groups are going to be with whoever this is in Gog and Magog. And all of them are going to have shield and helmet. And then verse 6, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togra from the utter... And here's what we know about them. They're from the uttermost parts of the north as well. And so again, we're still talking about the same area. The only difference now is we call that whole area the Soviet Union. And as... um. As you just heard earlier, um, these nations used to be, from what I understand, used to be part of the Soviet Union. Am I right on that? And so I'm not sure the history of why they're not anymore, but, um, but I know that they did used to be part of the Soviet Union. And then if you were to keep reading with me in verse 7, he says, Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. 
In the latter years, you will go against the land that is restored from war. So you see the timing of this event? The timing of this event when Ezekiel wrote it wasn't something that was going to happen um, in, in his time or even close to that time. He said in, what, how do you say it? In many days you will be mustered. In the latter years, and some, some versions in the last years, in the last years you are going to be mustered against the land that is restored from war. And we'll see who this is here in a minute. But there's, they're going to be mustered against the land that's restored from war the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. And so there's just a few things that we know about the timing of this event. It's going to be a time when Israel has been war-torn and the land has just been a continual waste, which we've been seeing for ages now, right? But this is going to be a time that God actually allows this land to be restored for a time. The nation of Israel returns to Israel. The people are gathered from all the peoples of the world, which again, we're seeing this happen ever since 1948, and it's growing more and more every day. If you want to do some fun research, I've told you about this before, but look up on places like YouTube or uh, Google or just search... um, uh, Jews allowed to pray on the Temple Mount now. For many years, the, the Temple Mount has been controlled by the, uh, by the Muslim uh, law in this place. And Jews were not allowed to, to be on the Temple Mount at all. Just recently, in the last few years, they have started to allow Jews to be able to come back onto the Temple Mount and to be able to pray. Right now, there is a Temple Institute in, in uh, Jerusalem that is actually got the designs and they are going forward and trying to um, rebuild the, the third temple. And so there, there are many things that are taking place um, that, that we can see a lot of these pieces being brought into place. And then it says in uh, verse 9, talking to Gog again, the, this leader, you will advance coming on like a storm. So what's he saying there? It's going to happen fast, ain't it? Like a storm that popped up. So just, it's not going to be something that, that, that we're going to really see a lot of organization take place. Just probably we're going to, if, if we're still around, and, it, and if, I'm saying a lot of ifs here, okay? Don't go home tonight saying that I told you that this is Russia, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. I, I don't know that. But if it was, then... You're going to turn the TV on one day and you're just going to see that there's a Russian army coming down joined by all these other nations and they're making their march on Israel. And so they're going to advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls, having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth, And so again, here's what we know about the timing of this event. Israel is going to be living in a time of blessing, in a time of peace. No walls, no security. Um, And so, and this to me actually lines up with the first seal. If you remember us going back and studying the first seal that opened up in the the very first part of the tribulation, there was a false peace that came on the scene. And... So basically, everybody was running around, as Paul said in Thessalonians, saying, peace and safety, peace and safety. And then war came upon them like a woman in labor pains, is, is, is what it said. And then the second seal that's opened up was war. And out of that war, many people died as a result of it. And so to, I kind of see this first battle here as a battle that, again, we'll look at the time in a little bit more here in a few minutes. 
To me, it lines up more with a battle that seems to take place right before the tribulation starts. And we're going to see some evidence of that as we go through it. But again, there are some people that believe that this is the battle of Armageddon and that that is going to take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Uh, We don't know for certain which one that may be, but we do know some details of it. And so um, Israel is going to be a land of unwalled villages, a people, quiet people who dwell securely uh, without walls, no bars or gates. And um, there are people who were gathered from the nations and they've acquired livestock and goods and now they dwell in Israel. And then in verse 13, he starts talking about some merchant people that live close by. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, talking about Gog, here's what they'll say, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? And ultimately, the merchants that live close by around Israel are going to look at these nations coming down and they're going to want to join them. Why? Because they're going to want a part of the riches that come out of it. And there are many people today that believe that this has to do a lot with oil that because of the amount of oil that Israel has um, underneath them, that, that this is going to be what it has to do with. Now again, all that is speculation. I just say those just because that's, that's what you'll hear if you study some of this stuff. And then in verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army, and you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And look at verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, are, ye, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now here's one reason why many people believe that this and the battle of Armageddon are the same. Because when you go, go with me, hold your place here and go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And uh, we'll start in verse 16 and go to verse 18. Or actually go to verse 19. Revelation 16 verse 16 says this, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drink the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. And so again, there are some correlations there that make people believe that that um, the battle of Gog and Magog and the battle of Armageddon are actually the same battle. And I will say in all honesty, it it could be. It it very well could be. But there are things that happen, we're going to continue reading in Ezekiel, that make me think that it's not. Uh, Because after the battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign is set up. And we go into a heaven on earth. Um, We go into a a place of bliss here with Jesus reigning as king over His kingdom. But now go back to Ezekiel chapter 38 and we'll see some of the things that happen 
after this earthquake in verse, um, start in verse 19 again of Ezekiel 38. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. Now to me, these are the things that happen in the following seals. Y'all remember that? And so all of these things happen after the first and second seal. And so again, I sort of put this in the timeline of, of a battle that's going to take place right before the tribulation happens. But then in verse 21, he says, I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, and again, there's seal number three or four, I believe it is. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And so the purpose behind this is that God wants to show the nations of the world that He is the Lord God, right? Alright, now go on to chapter 39. We're going to see some more things about this battle. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will let my holy name be, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the city of, cities of Israel will go out and make fires of weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bow and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the forests, for they will make fires of the weapons. They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord. So again, I'll stop there for a minute, but here's another thing that you notice. For the next seven years, they're burning weapons. And so... They don't have to cut any trees. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me. They don't need any firewood. They're burning the weapons of the people that have came down. And then in verse 11, On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers east of the sea. It will block the travelers for, for there, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. So you got a seven-year period that they are burning weapons. you got a seven-month period that they're burying bodies of all the people that have died. To me, this can't line up with the Battle of Armageddon. Because at the Battle of Armageddon is where Jesus comes and throws the Antichrist and uh, throws the false prophet into the lake of fire. He sets up His millennial kingdom on the earth. And, um, and if that is the case, then I don't see them for the next seven years uh, burning weapons and, burying and then seven months burying bodies. Now again, that's just my opinion. I'm just trying to look at the timing here and I see this as a separate battle that is going to take place. But then in verse 13, all the people of the land will bury them. 
and it will bring them renown on the day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make their search. And when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Hamana is also the name of the city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts of the field. Assemble and come and gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, of he-goats, of bulls, and of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you are filled, and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I am preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. Now, let me show you another argument why some people believe this is the battle of Armageddon. Go with me now to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and hold your place again. We'll come back to this. And I know I'm giving you a lot of information right now, but just try to retain some of it, and we'll tie it all together here in just a few minutes. Revelation chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. We're talking about the battle of Armageddon here. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So again, what you see there is that there is some very similar language. That basically in both of these battles, um, there is a great supper that God prepares for the beast of the field and the, the birds of the air. In other words, there's going to be a great slaughter as a result of this battle. And so whether we're talking about two separate battles, or we're talking about the same battle, we don't know for certain. But again, there are indicators that we're going to look at here in a minute that I believe would make this a separate battle. And so basically the timeline that I tend to see in this is that right before the seven years of tribulation happen, there is going to be a major battle where nations north of Israel, from the uttermost parts of the north, will descend upon Israel and try to exterminate them. And how many of you know that the Antichrist have been trying to exterminate the Jews for how many years now? Ever since the prophecy in the garden, of, um, or ever since the Jews were established, uh, they have been trying to exterminate the Jews. So this is nothing new, and don't be surprised when it happens again. So one of the things that's going to happen is I believe there's going to be a battle of what the Bible calls Gog and Magog, that is going to take place at the beginning of the tribulation period. It's not going to be a very long battle. Uh, God is going to end it pretty quickly. But they are going to descend upon and God is going to destroy whoever these nations are that are north of Israel. If it's the Soviet Union, that means the Soviet Union's future is that it will one day go up in flames if it is the Soviet Union. But if it's, if it's not, then whoever it is, God is going to conquer them. And then there's going to be the seven years of tribulation. And then at the end of the seven years of tribulation, when the final bowl of God's wrath is poured out, because remember you had seven seals of God's wrath, you had seven trumpets of God's wrath, and then you had seven bowls of God's wrath. And when the seventh bowl is poured out, 
the wrath of God is completed. It's done. It's over. And so after that seventh bowl, we get into the battle of, or actually during the sixth bowl, we open up into the battle of Armageddon. And then I believe that it's going to be a very similar battle. Kings of the earth are going to be led by the Antichrist, not Gog, unless it is the same battle, but they're going to be led by the Antichrist, and they too are going to try to march against Israel and Jerusalem, and they too are going to be conquered. And then the thousand-year reign is set up, and then once the thousand-year reign is set up, after the thousand years, the Bible says that Satan is released for a very short period of time, and he tries to lead another rebellion, which Revelation chapter 20 calls another battle of Gog and Magog. So I believe that those are the three main battles that we're looking at that the Bible teaches at the end of times. But again, in all fairness, it could just be two battles. It could just be Gog and Magog and Armageddon are the same. And then after the thousand years, there's a final battle. We don't know for certain. But here's what we do know. Uh, back in Ezekiel 39. Let's um, finish reading in verse um, 21. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. So do you see one of the purposes of this battle of Gog and Magog? What is God doing with this battle? He is opening the eyes of His people. He is showing His people that He is the Lord God. And so ultimately, this is where I personally believe that the eyes of the Jews are finally opened and their hardened heart is finally removed, and they are now professing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and as a Jewish nation, they are joined together with other Christian people, and they are following the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of this. And then in verse 23, "...and the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me, that I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanliness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. So there again, the purpose of it is that the world is then going to see... Because Have you ever wondered why the Jews are the ones that have suffered the way that they have out in every war? Why is it that the Jews are the ones that are, the ones that are always attacked and always trying to be exterminated? And I believe that when God delivers them in this last battle and He opens their eyes, the world is going to know. The world is going to know that the reason why the Jews have went through all they went through all this time is because God has been dealing with them according to their transgressions from back in the days of, um, uh, of um, David and Solomon and, and the kings of old. So, what do we know for sure? The first thing we know for sure is that a leader of the north, that's all we know, a leader of the north of Israel is going to lead a group of nations against Israel. All right, We don't know if it's Russia. We don't know if it's the Stan countries. We don't know if it's Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. All we know is that there is a leader that the Bible calls Gog that is in the uttermost parts of the north and he is going to join together a confederacy of nations and he is going to lead a charge against Israel. So you know that for certain. So if you can look for anything, you can look for signs of the times being that you're waiting on this, this uh, leader to gather all these nations to mount an attack against Israel. Another thing we know is that the attack is going to happen in the latter days, in many days from, from the time that Ezekiel spoke this. And so we know that this is an attack that is going to take place in whatever the latter days or the last days are. Now whether we're talking about the last seven years or whether we're talking about the last hundred years, I mean, we don't know. But we do know that it is going to be a battle that 
has not taken place yet. And another reason we know that is because Israel is going to be dwelling in safety and security with being blessed with many herds of sheep and cows. Do we see that happening yet today? See it coming to pass, but we don't see it happening in completion yet. And so we know that we're waiting on that to take place. Um, we also know that they are going to be gathered back from all the nations of the world into their homeland. That is going to be a time when Israel is restored and in peace and safety and prosperity. We know that after this battle takes place, the Jews are going to know the Lord. They're going to know that He is the Lord. And so those are some things that we know that are going to take place. And when you put all that information together, to me, the timeline seems to fit more at the first of the tribulation. And so that's the reason I believe that we can probably safely assume that we're probably looking for a battle to take place between the northern nations above Israel and mounting an attack on Israel. And then we can probably assume that when that happens, get ready. Get ready because what comes, at the, what comes right before the tribulation? What happens to you, the church? That's right. The Bible talks about uh, Jesus drawing His children, children out of this world. And so He calls them up. He steps out on the cloud and He calls to us and we come up to meet Him in the air. And so we believe that you've got the battle of Gog and Magog that will take place. And then likely the rapture will take place not long after that. And then the um, seven years of tribulation will happen. And during that seven years of tribulation, you remember at the, right, at the beginning of it, just before it, the Antichrist makes his appearance and actually makes peace with Israel. Y'all remember that? He actually makes peace with them so that the first three years of the three and a half years, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, he allows them to sacrifice in the temple again. So again, we, we believe that there's going to be a temple rebuilt in Israel. And all these things are, I'm bringing up to these because we've already covered them as we went through Revelation. So if you were part of that study, you should remember some of these details. And so when I look at all of the evidence of, of Israel dwelling in safety and security and being able to, um, to uh, have their worship and do their sacrifices again, whenever I look at all those details and the fact that they're going to be burning weapons for seven years and they're going to be burying bodies for seven months, and the fact that in the seals we have war that takes place and many people die and pestilence takes place, it seems to me that this battle fits at the beginning of the tribulation or just before it. But again, it very well could be the same as the battle of Armageddon. We, we don't know for certain. But we know that this battle is going to take place and we're waiting on it to happen. The next battle that happens is the battle of Armageddon. And again, go back to Revelation chapter 16. And we'll read about that battle. And it happens as the sixth seal, or the sixth, um, not sixth seal, the sixth bowl of judgment is poured out. But in Revelation chapter 16, and we'll start in verse... Um, 12. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And so these nations would likely join Russia in their attack against him if it is Russia. And the nations to the east of Israel would be nations like China. And who does China back right now in military? Russia, right? And so nations from the east would be China. Another nation from the east would be Japan. Another nation from the east would be India. And so those are just a few nations. Now again, speculation, alright? In all fairness, that's just speculation. But those are the nations east of it. But the great river Euphrates is dried up, and that's the border of Israel, the eastern border of it. And so it's dried up to prepare for the 
the way for the kings from the east to come. And as I've told you a few weeks ago, you can Google it and you can look it up right now. The Euphrates River is drying up as we speak. Um, there are many places of it that are already dry and that you can already walk across on dry land. And then in verse 13, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And so what we see is that Satan gives these this Antichrist and this false prophet power, his power. And they're able to perform great wonders to the point that the kings of the world are deceived by them. And this, if this is Gog that we're talking about here, if this is the same person, then it's going to be very easy for this leader to convince these other nations to join him in coming against God and specifically against Israel. And so that's something that is going to happen very, very easily. Verse 15, Jesus gives a promise and a warning. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen and exposed. And here we talked about this last week. This is just simply a, a warning and a promise to us saying, Listen, I'm coming quickly, and you need to make sure that you're prepared and that you're ready. Uh, because when the battle begins to take place, uh, whether you're talking about Armageddon or Gog and Magog, but when you see these things take place, your time draweth nigh. And so you want to make sure that you are prepared and that you are ready whenever this time comes. And then in verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So this is where again the battle of Armageddon comes in. And then in verse 17, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hell because the plague was so severe. So if, if Gog and Magog and Armageddon are the same, then I could see that this is how the nation is going to know that this is the Lord. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, they don't even have to fight. An earthquake wipes out the majority of them, and then hail from 100-pound hailstones, and I don't know how big that would be, but 100-pound hailstones fall from heaven and destroy many of them. And so there's no question when they see things like this that God has just delivered their people. The nations know it. And then the nation of Israel knows that God is the one that did it. So again, in all honesty, it could be the same battle. I, I, I'm not positive on that. But, um, and then if you'll look over in Revelation chapter 20, we'll see the final battle. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. And remember, the Bible teaches us that after the battle of Armageddon, there is a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And we'll read a lot about that as we go through Isaiah. Isaiah said a lot about this thousand-year reign in his prophecies. But after this thousand-year reign, the devil is going to be released for just a period of time. And he's going to mount another attack that's going to be extinguished very quickly. But look at verse 7 in Revelation chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, for their number is like the sand of the sea. Now, the first thing I want you to notice, the reason why I don't believe this is the same battle, is because this battle involves all nations. 
from all the four corners of the earth. But the battle that Ezekiel talked about was a battle that only involved the northernmost parts of above Israel, right? And so he named off the people that were involved in this. And, and not only that, but in the battle of Gog and Magog and Ezekiel, we have this leader that's named Gog that actually leads a land. In the battle that he's talking about here in Revelation 20, is actually led by Satan. Satan himself comes out and deceives the nations and leads all the nations from all the four corners of the earth in a deception to mount an attack against the kingdom of Christ here on this earth. And so then in verse 9 of chapter 20, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So it it was over just as quick as it started, right? And then in verse 10, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then immediately after that comes the great white throne judgment, which if you were to keep reading, you'll read more about that. And that's the judgment of the unbelievers, basically, is what happens there. So again, the point that I wanted to make is I wanted you to be able to see that the Bible gives us some details of some major battles that are going to take place in the end times. Uh, A lot of it we have to speculate about. And so I'm careful not to uh, develop um, doctrines about these battles unless they are things that the Bible specifically tells us you can know this. And if that's the case, then I look for those things. The rest of it, we can speculate about. Is it Russia? Is it not? There have been many. David Jeremiah, a very well-respected teacher, he's wrote books over how Magog is Russia. Absolutely. He is dogmatic on uh, Magog is Russia. I don't think that's wise. Because again, um, the Bible does not tell us that. We don't know that. There are some indicators. There are some things that point that seem to point in that direction. But but those are not. That's not something we know for certain. So I think it's difficult to be dogmatic on on something like that. I don't think it's wise to be. But one thing we do know is that there is going to be a battle of Gog and Magog. All right. When is that going to take place? Could be at the beginning of the tribulation. Could be at the end of the tribulation, at the same time of Armageddon, it's the same battle. But we do know that Israel is going to be at peace. That's another reason why I believe it's two separate battles. Is Israel going to be at peace at the end of the tribulation? Not at all. The Antichrist is making war on them to the point that anyone that does not receive the mark on the forehead or the hand is going to be beheaded and martyred for their faith, right? And so again... There are many little details here that make me say that there are similarities in the battles of Gog and Magog and Armageddon, but there are a lot of things that make me say it can't be the same battle. And so I tend to believe that there are three major battles, and I'll just close with this. The battle of Gog and Magog is going to be the first battle that we're going to see take place where some armies north of Israel are going to be led by a leader that the Bible refers to as Gog and they're going to make their march on Israel, trying to exterminate them, but they will not succeed. And then, I believe that there's going to be the seven years of tribulation, and at the end of the seven years of tribulation, uh, there's going to be another battle of Armageddon where the Antichrist deceives nations and kings, and he leads these kings from the east over against Israel again. And why are they from the east? I believe because the north has pretty much been destroyed. Right? If Gog and Magog takes place at the beginning of it, and God said He's going to destroy them, then I believe now the Antichrist is because Gog is gone, Magog is gone, and now you've got the Antichrist rises up, which I believe is going to come from Rome in some way. Rome reborn, if you will. And so he rises up, and then he deceives the nations from the east, which I believe would likely maybe be China, uh, the North Korea, maybe. I mean, who knows? But nations from the east, the Antichrist leads them against the nation of Israel. But then that's 
done away with quick in the battle of Armageddon as well. Then we go into a thousand year reign of Jesus reigning on this earth, heaven on earth. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from the pit, as we call it, from his prison. And for a period of time, he leads the nations of the world again to come together and mount another attack. Yet, as soon as it starts, it's over just as fast. And then after that, the great white throne judgment. And after that, we spend eternity forever and ever in heaven with Him. That's kind of the way that I see the timeline on this. Clear as mud. And, and you know, like I said last week, this stuff, um, it's not that important that you understand every detail of it. But I believe if we're going to be faithful in what God has called us to do, He told us to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, right? And so, I don't believe that we're wise to shy away from difficult things like this uh, just because we don't know all the details. I think we're wise to, to look at them. And, and I'll just be honest with you, um, I watch for things like that. You know, when Russia started attacking Ukraine, it makes my ears go up. Um, and so whenever you start seeing things like that happen, I don't know. I think, it's, um, I think it's wise for us to make sure that we're ready. No, no, because again, the, Bi the Bible says it's going to be in Israel. So, so no, the third temple will definitely be built in Israel. But, um, but I do know this. 6.9 million have returned since 1948, right? But it used to be we had the highest concentration of Jewish people. That's right. And so every year, more and more Jews are returning to Israel. And Israel is slowly but surely becoming filled with Jewish people. So again, it's just all this stuff is interesting to me. Um, it, it, it's... I can't tell you for certain that these are the events that are going to take place, but it, it is interesting. It is. Any questions tonight? I hope I didn't confuse you too bad. Um, I hope that you can... Well, and again, here's where you get into different, um, different doctrines of interpretation on end times. Um, there are some people that believe the thousand years is a uh, is not is symbolic. I, I tend to believe that unless the Bible specifically tells you a reason to interpret it symbolically, we should interpret it literally. And so I tend to believe that there's going to be a literal thousand year reign of Jesus here on the earth. And when we get there in the next week or two, I'll tell you why there's going to be a thousand year reign and what God is fulfilling during those thousand years and the, the purpose that's happening. And you know, the Bible says that when a man lives to be a hundred, it'll be like being a baby during that time. So literally, that during the thousand year reign of Jesus, it goes back to the days that people live like Methuselah who lived, behold, um, 969 years, I believe it was. And so, you know, and, and basically, if a man, I'll tell you what it is, it said if a man die in that day, if a man dies at the age of a hundred, he was a very young man. He was a very young man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, I, hey, listen, I'm one of those people that I'll tell you, if I don't know, I'll just tell you. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into it. I'm going to have to... I mean, I do not know everything. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, there's a lot of this that, and that's the reason why I stayed away from Revelation for so long was because there's so much that, you know, I mean, there's so many different interpretations of it, and and I'm do what it is. Well, look, that's why there are so many different um, different ways of interpreting it. You know, whether you interpret it from a historicist background or from a futurist background, or I mean, there are so many different ways to to interpret it. We tend to look at it as all future. That these are things that have not taken place yet, and so we interpret it from a from a futurist perspective. I agree.
That's right. Well, and that's the reason why when I started Revelation, I started in Daniel. You remember how we went in Daniel 7 and we went to Daniel 9 and we looked at things like that. And that's the reason why when I got to these battles, I went back to Ezekiel so that you could see some context there that helps you understand uh, some of what's happening. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's why. All right. Any more questions? Do what? The Soviet Union. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Um, I hope it wasn't too boring tonight. And um, don't, don't leave on me. We'll... <laughs> We'll get into some things that uh, I think you'll help you more in the future. So, All right, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You tonight for Your Word. And Lord, even though there's so much that, uh, uh, Lord, we don't know the details exactly of how it's going to play out, Father, we thank You that You still want us to see the things that, that will take place soon. And Father, I just pray, God, that You would help us to be prepared. Father, I pray, God, that we would understand that You're coming like a thief in the night. Lord, we don't know when that's going to be, and it's going to be when we least expect it. And Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to be able to stay awake. Father, I pray, God, that our, our ears would always be up. And Father, we're always looking for, for signs or anything that, that might indicate that Your coming is, is soon. And Father, we know that today, Lord, it's closer now than it's ever been. And Father, I just pray that You would help us to, to, um, to not go to sleep. Father, to stay awake and to be ready. Or to have our garments on and to be, to be ready to meet You in the air. Father, I just thank You again for this group of people that come here tonight to study Your Word. And I just pray, God, that You would bless them. Father, You said there's a blessing in reading this Word. And Father, I pray, God, that You would bless them tonight as, a, as we've read it and we've tried to understand it the best that we can. Father, I pray that You would help us to rightly divide it. Help us not to speculate too much and, uh, Lord, put things in our minds that You didn't mean to be there. Father, I pray that we would just take Your Word at what it says and just do the best with it that we can. And Father, again, we trust You. We thank You, God, for all that You do in our lives. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.